Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining me again today. And I have here with me uh, a brand new friend. Polly Alexander is with me today. Thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast, Polly. It's awesome to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Nathan. Well, and, and I love the raw element. I've said this before in the podcast, but I love the, the raw dynamic, I guess, of getting to know our guests with our listeners. I think that's when we talk about the idea of authenticity, this is certainly authentic. So we're going to get to know each other here on air and let our listeners kind of join the conversation. And I really appreciate you making time for us. And we have a lot of information to cover and some really interesting information, certainly um, a topic that we've not covered certainly in this way before. And so we're going to get to that here in just a bit. But uh, the way that we normally start off the, the Boca podcast is with what we call the aha moment. And very simply, this would be the biggest or hardest lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far. And I know that you have multiple businesses, but what's something that comes to mind when you hear that? I think um, my biggest aha moment was that you have to keep evolving and you can't resist change. So I had a vision for my photography business. And when I made that vision happen, I just wanted everything to stay the same. And I just thought, okay, I'm here now. Great. (laughs) And what I learned is that you have to keep evolving. And you never really get there and you can never really sit back and rest on your laurels. And this came to me in quite a dramatic way, actually. (laughs) So um, my dream was to run a wedding photography business. So I changed career, left corporate, created the business. And then my dream was to move to a small Mediterranean island and shoot weddings all over the world from there. And so I made that happen. I'm making that sound really easy. It was a long journey. <laughs> I, I really do love how matter of fact you are about that. And, and for those of you listening in who are, your mouths are now um, wide open and you're, you're, you don't even know where to go from there, we're going to actually dive into the details of this story and what's the, the philosophy really that drives that, that story here in just a little bit. But this is a really interesting point that you make. And it begs the question, what, what is something, actually two questions. Number one, what do you think it is about our tendency, maybe as just human beings in general, maybe more specifically as business owners, to get to a particular place, you feel comfortable and you're like, oh, okay, I've made it. Um, I'm good to go. What, is, is, that a, is that a desire just for stability, comfort? What do you think drives that? Yeah, I think we're just hardwired to avoid danger and the unknown. Hmm. It's like a survival instinct. So we are more comfortable with the familiar, even if the familiar isn't great, it's suffering that we're familiar with and we're used to and we know how to handle. Yes. So I think um, we're just hardwired to avoid change where we can and to fear it. And that's quite a primal instinct. That's interesting. That's and it's really a topic in and of itself that we could get into a lot more deeply. But I, I'll ask a, a second question, and that is I'm curious what it is that you do on an ongoing basis to continue to push yourself, maybe push yourself outside the comfort zone or outside the kind of proverbial box, if you will. What, what is it that you do to challenge yourself as an individual or a business owner? Yeah. Uh, well, this is an interesting one because I was trying to avoid challenging myself. <laughs> <laughs> and actually the universe took over. So I had a bit of um, what can be known as like a divine timing moment or a breakdown or a breakthrough where like things were taken out of my hands. So there I was trying to keep things the same. And I thought, this is it now. I've got my life in the countryside. I've got my business. All I've got to keep doing is keep on doing the same thing and we'll be good. Um, And then I basically had some huge changes in my life sort of thrust upon me. Um, I think as many of us do as we move through life. So for me, it was my mother died suddenly. Wow. um, Right after I'd made this move. And then my father got cancer. I got married, my husband walked out, and then I damaged my eyesight, actually. So there I was as a photographer, and I had an accident with a cactus that affected my left eye. And I remember shooting a wedding and thinking, oh, my gosh, I've nearly lost everything. Wow. And so in a way, like I was pushed on a path of change and expansion because I wasn't willing to take it myself. (laughs) 
Wow. So, but do you think that that tends to happen naturally for everyone or is it, is it good to kind of look for opportunity for change or what's, what's the balance there yeah. in, if you will? Yeah, I think what tends to happen is if we, if we avoid change and we ignore opportunities or we ignore things that we kind of know that we should take a look at or work on, but we would rather not, that they eventually will be pushed onto that path. So I think that everybody has a path, you know, where they can shine and where their gifts are. And if we ignore that, then you'll eventually get pushed on your path, which is why people make the switch from corporate to become a photographer, you know, later in life, because they've ignored this urge, this drive, this passion for so long, Mm. perhaps eventually they get made redundant or, you know, they get ill from stress at work. So I think you can get pushed on your path, but I do think also you have a choice and that comes from a place of desire. And that comes from a place of desiring more and taking your dreams seriously. So if you have a dream to travel the world, um, that you actually take it seriously and you start to look at, well, you know, how could that be possible for me? Okay, I've got kids or okay, I've got these commitments, but how could I step more into my desires and my dreams? And how could that be possible? So like taking an example, I have a client recently who's a photographer in South Africa, uh, Emma O'Brien, who shoots dogs. And that's what's at her passion is dogs. And she's a photographer, so she wanted to bring the two together. So she started shooting dog portraits specifically for people. And then she wanted to publish a book. So she started crowdfunding to create a book where she gave the proceeds to charity. So you start to take your dreams seriously, and then you find ways to make them happen. Mm. And and I love that you mentioned that word choice, too. I I literally have the word choice tattooed on my right arm. Actually, in Japanese, it's the Japanese word sentaku that means choice. And and then actually on my other arm, belief, because you also talked about what we do with the opportunity that is in front of us. Uh, And really, ultimately, we have to to adjust our belief or the meaning that we're giving a particular situation. And this harkens to something that that, uh, I'm a huge fan of Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins talks about the idea of how we assign meaning to an experience. And so we have a particular experience. It may be stressful in the moment, whether it's in a a corporate job or maybe we've already started our business and we have the opportunity to choose, as you said earlier, to assign a particular meaning to that experience. And if we choose the the, the positive meaning or or we look at that that experience ultimately as an opportunity for positive change or growth, um, I think that puts us well on the way to a a good place. And and that's putting it very simply. Maybe we can more specifically say, a a Mediterranean island, if you will. (laughs) Um, But but I think that that element of choice is so important. We have to remember at the end of the day that that life doesn't just simply happen to us, that we do have a choice. We have the opportunity multiple times over, even day in and day out, to make choices to ultimately create the life that we want for ourselves. And and you're a beautiful example of that. And again, we'll tell a little bit more about that story here shortly. Uh, I love the the direction this conversation is already going, but I'd love for our listeners, and and I'm raising my hand here. I want to get to know you a little bit as well. Let's start maybe it was just something random that most people might not know about you totally and I love that you have that tattoo by the way that's awesome that's awesome I think it's all about going from being a victim of life to being a creator absolutely and that's something that if you're a creative you naturally have a predisposition towards Hmm. so harness that creative imagination to literally create all aspects of your life but to answer your question um, yes, yeah, some random things about me. <laughs> so these are things that are not on my website. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. So um, first thing, I qualified for Mensa, the high IQ organization. I don't know if you have that out in the States when I was 17. Yes. So I qualified for that and I used to put it on my CV for jobs and I would get teased ruthlessly when I joined the company because they would introduce me as some kind of genius, (laughs) (laughs) which I was mortified because I am definitely not. Intelligence (laughs) comes in many forms and I am not super academic. (laughs) I soon learned to hide that one. And then I also appeared dancing in a green turban piled high with fruit in a number one pop video which still appears on mtv from time to time and i'll have random emails going did i see you on mtv <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yes what is the so what is the music video that you were in oh i'm not gonna say oh no okay all right we won't put it out there but i, I love i love the uh, the humor behind that conversation about about your iq level but but in just a slightly more serious note that the notion of intelligence i love that you bring up the fact that intelligence manifests itself in different ways and something that's really struck me even in the last few months is the significance of somebody who is quote intelligent to be able to make 
connections. You know, a lot of times we kind of default when we hear about somebody who is, quote, intelligent or is a genius to think about them uh, almost by default as book smart. But one of the things that's been fascinating to me as I continue to, to grow up, if you will, is to notice how those who are particularly intelligent in life, as you said, their intelligence manifests in different ways. But at the at root level, a lot of that so-called intelligence has to do with their ability to be able to make connections, um, whether it's connections between ideas and opportunities or, or and maybe even in the same realm between people and opportunities and ideas. But um, it's the ability to be able to make connections. Where would you say that your strength lies when it comes to the so-called intelligence? Yeah, I think one of the most powerful forms of intelligence is emotional intelligence. Hmm. And to be able to connect with somebody else, like truly from the heart, and to be able to connect with them without judgment. And that's actually something that's really powerful when you're selling to clients, to really like connect with them, to really listen to them, and to connect with their emotions. I think that people buy people more than they buy the work, to be totally honest. Yes. So I feel that the clients that have booked me and choose to work with me as a photographer, it's because they connect with me. You know, my work, it has to align with their preferences, but I really don't think it's my work that makes people book me. It's the way that they feel when they're with me, Mm. the way I make them feel, and that I really listen and I really connect with them. So I guess I would say emotional intelligence and, and I love how you describe the significance of emotional intelligence, especially when it comes to running a business. And it's so true, especially for photographers who are consistently interacting with, and I, I think back to when I photographed weddings for about 10 years, I'm inter- interacting with these clients or potential clients, in some cases, on a very intimate level. I'm getting to know them very deeply, and I'm, and they're sharing their wedding day of, of you know one of the most important moments of their lives. And we're given this opportunity to not just simply sell a, a service and hopefully take a, a beautiful image, but ultimately to be able to relate to them, to connect with them uh, in a, in, at some, in some cases, a very vulnerable way. And our ability to be able to, to empathize with them, to understand how they're interacting with us and to re- respond emotionally in the appropriate way um, is, is so, so important. And, and again, another topic in and of itself that we could easily spend probably multiple podcast episodes on. But I'm, I'm glad that you bring up emotional intelligence. This is really, really important. You talked about the significance of listening. And the, the question is, I'm sure, already being, being asked by many who are listening where you are from, because it's wonderful to listen to you in your accent. And we're getting to know you. We, we need to know where you're, you're from originally. I'm English. I've spent the last seven years splitting my time between London and Ibiza, uh, which is a small Mediterranean island of Spain, off the coast of Spain. Interestingly, I just got my DNA test results last night. Oh, wow. Have you ever taken one of those? I haven't yet. No, but I'd love to. Oh my gosh, you have to do it. It's awesome. And it gives your, like literally the, you know, where your DNA is from. Apparently I am 22% Scandinavian. (laughs) How interesting. That's actually some of, actually a good portion of my background as well. Ah, wow. And I'm only 33% English. The rest (laughs) is Welsh, Irish, and Scottish. I love it. I love it. So uh, that's, I really recommend that for anybody that's curious about their heritage. I feel like now I've, I'm called to go to these places and see if my soul resonates with them. That's, you know, that's actually an interesting conversation as well. I'm, I've had the opportunity to travel and my, my family heritage is, is largely European. Um, I've had the, the opportunity to travel just briefly to Europe, but I, I certainly look forward to the opportunity to, to do so much, much more. Um, I have, uh, well, I have a, a kind of a mix of backgrounds, if you will. Uh, my, my mom, though, is, is quite a, a hobbyist when it comes to exploring our family tree. And so apparently I'm, I'm 116th Italian, Scandinavian as well, so Swedish, Norwegian, Danish, and um, a little bit of Irish as well. So we, we, we share some similar, uh, similar heritage there, which is quite interesting. Um, but how very interesting. <laughs> how much time do you get to spend on Ibiza uh, versus back in England? Yeah, this is, I get asked this question so much. It was a source of fascination when I moved out there. In fact, it actually helped me attract clients, photography clients. They would would come to talk to me about their wedding. And the first question they would ask is, how do you do this? (laughs) How does it work? Like, I want this. How do I create this lifestyle? Honestly, it was really simple. (laughs) I was living in London. Um, I wanted to go out there. I actually bought a house, but it's super simple to rent out there. And if I was doing it again, I would just rent, okay. first of all. 
And I was self-employed, so I just made the decision to go out there and then just fly back for jobs. So the first year I did 60 flights. Wow. Insane, because I had the whole year booked up for photography and what only one job was on Ibiza. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> The dream happened in seven weeks. I thought it would take longer to make it happen. So suddenly there I was. Um, so, and then it's been evolving each year. I've spent like a month in Miami. I would really like to live in Miami. So I went and tried that. I spent a month work, um, living and working in Bali. I can go wherever I want, really, as long as I have my laptop and my kit and Skype then I can work anywhere. So it's always evolving. Last year, I spent most of the year on Ibiza, um, just coming to London for jobs and trainings. Right now, I'm in London over the winter. Ibiza got too quiet. So I'm in London at the moment. <laughs> probably going to be doing more of a split this summer. Okay. So this this really kind of segues beautifully into a question that I normally ask here, which is how you spend your free time. And it, and it looks like you enjoy traveling as a whole. How do you create that that time? And this this may be a, something that we get into in a little bit more detail when you talk about your your businesses that you're really focused on now as you've transitioned um, largely away from photography. But how do you create free time as a business owner, especially for all of this travel? Um, and is there a particular tip or technique or tool, a workflow that you utilize in order to make that happen consistently? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I think ultimately it just comes down to a decision and it's like a muscle that gets stronger over time the more you use it. I love it. So it's as you strengthen your self-worth, you start to value yourself more. So it becomes easier to spend time on you. So I know that whatever I create in my life, it's a reflection of my own energy. So if my energy is off or I'm tired or depleted or irritated, then that's how my day is going to go. I'm going to like get, I'm going to attract clients that say no, or I'm going to not have interactions that are as um, flowing as I would like or as yes. uh, positive. So I make sure that my energy is in a strong place before I take any work. So what that looks like for me, and I don't have children, so I know that this is easier than if you have a family, but what it looks like for me is that I spend the first two to three hours of the day just for me. I have my phone on flight mode. It doesn't even go on until I feel good. So that would be meditation, intention setting, maybe some journaling, some yoga at home, a workout. And then when I feel good, that's when I start work. This is fascinating. Now, first of all, do you tend to be an early riser or do you just kind of get up uh, when, when your body wakes up? How did, what is your mm -hmm. preference? <laughs> okay, so this has also been an evolution. <laughs> <laughs> so naturally, no, I'm not an early riser. Okay. Um, but what happened was I was kind of, I, I started meditating a lot more. I've been meditating since I was 19 years old wow. when I went on my first silent retreat. So I realized like how powerful it was that when you shift your mind and how you feel, it literally changes even how you see things. I remember when I came off this retreat, even the colors of like the landscape and the traffic lights and things, they were brighter mm, and more yes, vivid. Yes. You know, that's after just 10 days of silence. Yes. And I was like, wow, like even colors look different. And that's just the power of my own mind. So that's when it really got cemented. So I've made a consistent effort and it's got easier with time, with practice, to meditate every morning. And the more I've been meditating consistently every morning now for two years. And I need much less sleep. So I only really, it went down from like seven and a half to six. So that helps me get up earlier. That, you know, that's interesting. You mentioned that though, because from what I understand uh, about meditation and, and what I've learned about it over, over time, for those who are able to go extremely deep in meditation, um, when, when they've studied the brain and, and the results of meditation on the brain, there's actually a similar effect on the brain from deep meditation as you get from sleep or deep sleep. And uh, so that, that's not so surprising to hear, but it's, it's beautiful to hear as well. Is there a particular, I know that meditation looks different for pretty much anybody that is involved. What does that look like for you? What does the process look like? Yeah. So I originally started out with a Buddhist meditation. So there's two practices and one's a mindfulness practice where you really just become aware of your breath. So you just follow your breath in and out and then you count one after each breath and you count up to 10 and then you repeat it. Now, what actually happens is you get to four and then you start thinking about your to-do list <laughs> right. and then you come back around a few minutes later and go, damn, okay, I'll start again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And when you get to 10, you're like, bingo, I'm so focused. <laughs> um, 
So that's one practice. And the other practice is a loving kindness where you mm. focus on sending positive uh, feelings to different people. So you first of all send them to yourself. So you imagine yourself well and happy and doing things you enjoy and feeling good. And then you send those feelings to uh, somebody that you like, you know, a good friend. And then you send them to a neutral person. So maybe someone that you see in a store that you see, but you never pay any attention to. Hmm. And then you send them to someone you're having challenges with. So always say, don't pick someone you're in major conflict with. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get caught up at that point. But pick someone that's, you know, maybe you've had a disagreement with or you are not getting along with and you send them the same love. So the idea is that you send the same love and good intention to each person. And then the last stage is you send it out to everybody in the world. So I alternate between those two practices typically. And, and do you find yourself doing that kind of day in and day out? So you do, you do want, you take one approach one day and the, the next approach the following day, or what does that look like? Yeah, I'm more like fatty, <laughs> like I'll eat the same food for ages and then not eat it for a few months. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. I feel you. <laughs> I think it's the creative, you know, the creative mind. I like variety, but also when I really like something, I'm really passionate about it. So <laughs> I like go all out on it and then I get bored of it. So um, actually at the moment, I'm also just sitting watching. I'm just doing an observation meditation Hmm. where I just sit and I just watch, observe what my eyelids feel like, what my body feels like, what sounds are around me. And so I'm just focusing on being aware. So that's my current thing. And probably after a few weeks or a couple of, yeah, probably a few weeks, then I might be drawn to another practice. That's that's lovely. I've mentioned on, on the podcast before a book uh, by Michael Singer. It's called The Untethered Soul. And while my friend and, and photographer actually that we had, had here on the podcast, Nicole Goddard, kind of introduced me to even the idea of meditation as a newbie, um, I, I really gained further insight reading that book, Untethered Soul. And one of the things that, that um, Michael addresses in that book uh, is kind of the, the villain, if you will, in our story about trying to gain peace of mind is, is that so-called voice inside of our head. And he talks about uh, why we shouldn't give it significance. Um, and, and when he talks about meditation, he explains, you know, that there's this kind of stereotypical assumption, at least in American culture anyway, where um, when somebody says meditation, we're supposed to just kind of, quote, clear our mind or clear our head. And as you as you said just a few minutes ago, Polly, there is a tendency immediately almost to go to the things that, that we've been thinking about for the last two hours. And, and so what he explains in that book is instead of trying to get rid of those thoughts, because naturally your mind's going to hold on to them, um, it's, it's a healthy thing to see those thoughts. And, and this is personally how I practice meditation. I'm, I'll be sitting down on the floor, uh, back up against a wall just to, to support my back, and eyes are closed, and I see a thought in, and then I see it out, almost like I'm seeing someone out the door. And, and then if another thought comes in my mind, I, I see it, I can acknowledge it, but then I see it out the door. And that process for me visually has worked really, really well. So instead of trying to fight the urge to think about something, you don't fight it, you let it be, but then you see that thought out. And you repeat that process over and over and over again. Uh, by, by the end of even a, just a simple 10-minute meditation for me, I am so deep in it um, that, that, that the, the little bells jingling on my phone kind of wake me abruptly. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a really effective way, at least it has been for me, to approach uh, meditation. And we'll certainly link to that book in the show notes as well. But I appreciate you being willing to share what is kind of an intimate uh, practice. But uh, I, I think this is particularly inspiring for our listeners. Now, uh, you mentioned being a photographer. And um, I know that, again, you're, you've kind of transitioned from photography into some other focuses now that we're going to touch on. But how did you first get into photography? How did you get started? And, and what, what has been your photography uh, business's brand position? Yeah, sure. Um, I loved reflecting on this for this question. It's been a really long journey. My gosh, we're going up to nearly 40 years now. (laughs) Makes me sound about 180. (laughs) I'm a creative, so I'm always young. I never grow up. Absolutely. (laughs) So I think it goes back as far as being eight years old. I remember having a little, um, I think it was called a 110 camera. And I used to take pictures of one of my brothers, my littlest brother, because he was the easiest to (laughs) direct and manipulate. And I used to dress him up, put makeup on him, and then take pictures of him. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> Poor little guy. He was too young to realize. Now, I always was creative and artistic, but I went to a very academic school and my parents wanted me to go to university. You know, in their world, in their paradigm, that was the that was the safest and best thing to do. Hmm. College was not something they could relate to okay. or understand. So I went to university, signed up for a psychology degree because it seemed the most interesting option. Yes. And I, but I really loved photography. And so at university, actually rewinding, when I was at school, I won a big national photography competition. It was a worldwide fund for nature and I got featured in their annual calendar. So I think like there were a few little things, little signs. And what I find is when we're in alignment with what we're supposed to be doing, we'll get little signs from the universe, like little, um, it could be someone that comes along and helps, hmm. or it could be some kind of recognition. Yes, There'll be things that are little signposts of like, yep, keep going this way. <laughs> You're on the right path. And so I think that was my first sign. So I got to university and then, this is in the days of film. So pre-digital. And I used to shoot bands for the university newspaper. So you'd get a pass for the first three songs. It was no flash. It was black and white, high-speed film. And I would go and shoot. And I thought it was awesome because I was super into my music. Yeah. And I got to go for free to the gig. So That's I was a perfect. poor student. <laughs> and I thought, awesome. <laughs> free gigs. And I get to shoot. So I'd go and shoot the gigs. And then at about 11 o'clock at night, I would go into the darkroom. I'd develop the film. And I'd print the images so that the newspaper could print them the next morning. And that grew. I started shooting for the other university newspaper. And then I actually got my first paid gig. So I was 19 and I was shooting for a national events newspaper. So then I started getting paid to go out, have fun, see gigs and shoot. So it was pretty awesome for me. Wow. You know, I, <laughs> I thought that was amazing. But it didn't transition to a full-time career for quite a while. So I went back to uni. I actually then dabbled in fashion photography. Again, didn't know any photographers, didn't really know how you could make money from this. It wasn't a world that I had any, I guess, connection to or access to. And so it didn't really happen for me until I was 28 when I finally realized I couldn't ignore my passions anymore. I'd been working in advertising hmm. as a planner. So it was a super cool industry. It was when the dot-com boom was happening. It was very fun. Right. But I knew deep down, like, I wasn't, I wasn't living a life that was who I really was. So I jumped off and I went back to uni to study. And that's when I started taking my passion seriously. And the wedding photography came along by accident, I have to say, somebody asked me to shoot a wedding. I'd heard awful things about shooting weddings. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess I'll give it a go. I thought I'll do the one and then that'll be it. Yeah, yeah. And did you shoot that first wedding? You mentioned shooting black and white film earlier. Did you shoot your first wedding in medium format or 35 millimeter? No, you know what? This is just when digital was coming in. Okay. So I remember it was like at uni, they were loaning a digital camera. <laughs> it was like, whoa. And there was a big queue of people dying to try this new space age gadget. Yes, yes. <laughs> that that, that one megapixel <laughs> sensor, right? Or the three yeah, megapixel you got sensor. It. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I actually shot that first one digitally. And because I didn't know anything, I didn't know what I didn't know. I thought, wow, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. And the clients were like, oh, my gosh, you know, we love our pictures. So I bless those clients because, quite frankly, when I look back, I just didn't know what I didn't know. I, didn't, <laughs> I was, like, blissfully happy in my naivety. But that actually led to me taking it seriously and starting a business. And I applied through different trusts in the UK. I got a mentor and I got a grant to start my business as well. Oh, wow. Um, there's actually quite a lot of funding available. I don't know about the States, but in the UK, in certain areas where they're trying to encourage either female-led businesses or in certain areas, in, encourage creative businesses, when you search out, you can actually find grants and support. That's interesting. I, you know, I mean, there are certainly grants available in the US. Um, I, I'm not sure how readily for solo entrepreneurs, for example, at least in the, in the photo space, how, what was that process or how, how long did that process take of applying and then getting that, that grant? 
Yeah, I went through the Prince's Trust initially, which is an organization for helping young entrepreneurs in the UK. I think they've evolved and changed a bit since I helped them, but it's backed by a member of the royal family. Hmm. And I got a mentor who was um, very senior in the city here in the finance industry who met with me once a month for the first year of my business. And that was super powerful because that's when I I could have easily quit. That that. That's uh, that's really important, though, and something that doesn't happen, I think, very readily or very often here in, in the at least in the U.S. market, where you have somebody as a photographer specifically starting out, that you have somebody that is your so-called mentor, somebody that you can look to who has extensive experience, both not only in photography but especially in the business side of things, um, that can that can guide you, that can give advice, and and for that matter, just encourage you as well. And I think that's really important. Um, and and this person was assigned. To you is that right yeah that's right they're assigned to me it's a volunteer organization that's really beautiful so they were assigned to me and then I also applied for a grant where I was in East London they were encouraging development of new businesses at the time yes so there was a European um, fund grant available which gave me my first two thousand pounds to commission a designer get a really nice website done I bought a lens with it as well it got me up and running and the money I invested in creating a great brand that actually caught literally in my first few months, it caught the attention of one of the magazine editors who rang me and said, oh my gosh, I love your website. Can we publish your work? So I can't emphasize enough, even if you've only shot two weddings like I had at the time, investing in a brand and that really showcases your vision and who you are, it's going to help you accelerate your progress. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that really just segues uh, our conversation beautifully then to, to my next question, which has to do with brand position. I'm actually reading a book right now, or I should say listening to a book right now called Building a Story Brand uh, by a guy named Don- Donald Miller. And it's a fascinating, very minimalistic, beautifully minimalistic uh, conversation, but a fascinating conversation nonetheless about effectively developing and then communicating your brand position to your potential client. How did you go about that process for yourself? And what was that brand position that you established? How did you set yourself apart from the the photographers in your market? And how did you effectively communicate that? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think it was pretty organic for me. As a creative, I had a vision of what I liked aesthetically. And I felt that so it was a mixture of my own aesthetic preferences, but also that I believed wedding photography should be timeless it should be super flattering because as a woman, I know that we all want to look good. We want people to see our best side, but I also wanted it to be authentic and natural. So it was bringing together my values. It was really coming, bringing together my values rather than trying to please the client, if that makes sense. Mm, mm-hmm. It was a brand that was an expression of who I was. I was really passionate about film and about photography that was timeless that you couldn't place it in a moment in time. And that's kind of where I started my brand positioning from. I think as I've evolved into my coaching business, I've got more sophisticated with my brand. And I'd say now my brand is an expression of who I am. So it's an expression of the lifestyle I've created. So sunshine filled, very colorful, very minimalist, white settings, but with colorful pops and by sharing like what I believe in, what's important to me, how I live, that creates the brand. So a brand is like a 360-degree experience. So it's about expressing and being consistent through everything you do, whether it's I'm the same whether I'm with my friends, with my clients on Instagram. I'm kind of the same across the board, and that's come with time and knowing who I am really so that then whatever I do is an expression of that. Oh, that's and that's really, really important. You know, I, I think maybe in, in some form or fashion, many of us, including myself, kind of feel like we're we're still trying to establish. You know, I, a lot of people say find who you are. Uh, I like to think that ultimately, to your earlier point, we have a choice. We we can make a decision about what values we, we want to reflect and live that life. But certainly, we have certain tendencies, right? And and we're comfortable in certain spaces, and certain things tend to make us happy. And um, so, be, having a clear understanding of, of of what that looks like, and then effectively communicating that in a way that that actually helps a, a potential client feel something. When you mentioned earlier that 
Um, you use lots of whites with pops of color. It, it made me think of these these images of yourself. Um, we asked you to, to send a couple of headshots over for the podcast, and, and you sent a couple of images, and you so beautifully did exactly what you just described. There's these these images with a lot of white in that pop of color, and you just kind of exude this this joy, this happiness, which I can only imagine makes your clients feel something. And uh, this is certainly consistent on on your websites as well. I'll go ahead and just mention them uh, while we're talking about them, and certainly we'll we'll link to them in show notes, and and we can mention them again at the end. But uh, Alexander Weddings, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-E, Alexander, and then Weddings.com, and, and then uh, Polly, P-O-L-L-Y, Alexander.com, and MoneyBeautifully.com, and we're going to talk about those brands here just in a minute, but um, you you have this very consistent aura about you across those brands that is just, it's, it's beautiful, it exudes happiness, it has that pop of color that you were talking about, and I know that such an important part of developing a, a clear, a memorable brand is helping people feel something, and I certainly feel something when I when I see those images, and um, so you're, you're doing a beautiful job of it. I have to, to give you props and kudos for that. Thank you. Thank you. I think what I want people to take away is that anything's possible, this sense of possibility and freedom. And if people can take that and relate to that themselves and feel that in whatever way by connecting with me or working with me, that they can also take some of that for themselves, then then I've done my job. That's lovely. Well, speaking of your so-called job and, and really your focus and passion and what you're spending most of your time on now, um, you, well, you did start with Alexander Weddings and, and uh, became a wedding photographer in addition, of course, to the fashion photography and and uh, journalism that, that you were involved in. You kind of transition your focus from photography to becoming a coach and mentor. And, and really what drives that is, is a particular mission. And I'd love for you to share that, that mission or series of missions really with our listeners, if you will, the missions that drive Polly Alexander and, and Money Beautifully, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. It was an organic journey into coaching, as I mentioned earlier. I was sort of thrown into it. I discovered coaching when I had to rebuild my own life. And I didn't plan to become a coach. But what happened was when people heard that I was studying coaching, they started reaching out. So it's firstly a photographer in the US. She reached out and said, will you mentor me? (laughs) And then somebody else in the UK said, you don't know me. But they said that you've inspired me for a long time. You inspired me to become a photographer. I'm going to be your first client. (laughs) So I got stalked (laughs) by these potential clients. Both these women are now up to massive things, I have to say, doing really, really well. Darcy Benincosa in New York and Utah. Um, I helped her become a coach, trained her to become a coach. She's rocking out now with her workshops. Um, Another one was Katie Julia, the second one that's demanded to be my first client, an amazing fine art photographer in the UK as well. So I have these people to thank for pulling me towards my purpose when I was kicking and screaming and trying to keep things the same. (laughs) But I do have to ask you, this this kind of begs a question because, you know, it's a very... Um, I, I guess just a popular thing, at least here, in, again, in the American market and, and culture right now to become a life coach or a success coach or otherwise. And you actually have the the, the resume, the so-called resume to, to back up your effort now to teach and to help other entrepreneurs. You've, you've established this lifestyle for yourself as a photographer that enables you to spend a, a good bit of your time on a Mediterranean island. I mean, I'm not sure how many people can can say that they've been able to do that. Uh, but would you say that that is something that is for everyone? What is, are there some parameters that should fall around those who, who decide to offer, you know, even something as simple as a workshop or begin coaching or otherwise? What are your thoughts on that topic? I think essentially that anybody, if you have the desire to do something, you also have the potential within you to realize that desire. So you wouldn't have the desire for it or be drawn to it if you didn't also have the ability innate within you. So my mission is to help people see what's possible and show them how to uncover and fulfill all their potential. So what can happen is you have a desire to do something and then all these voices come up and say, well, that's impractical. Well, I couldn't do that. Well, who's going to book me? Well, who am I to do that? Well, I'm not good enough. And so my mission is to help people clear all of those fears and blocks so that they can become the the greatest, if you like, and the most authentic version of who they are. So I would say if they ha- you have those desires and those drives, it's because the possibility is there within you. 
Well, and I love the simplicity with which you communicated. I mean, we spoke about the idea of a brand position earlier, that the simplicity with which you communicated your brand's position in an effort to enable individuals, entrepreneurs to be able to reach their version of ultimate success. And it's so important to remember as business owners that whatever it is that we are ultimately selling, whatever service, whatever ultimately that the value that we're going to offer to that potential customer or potential client, that person that we're going to work with, we need to be able to clearly and concisely communicate it within just a matter of a few seconds. And you did that beautifully. So again, I have to commend you for that. It's a wonderful example for for all of us. But we have two different websites here, polyalexander.com and moneybeautifully.com. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference between the two brands? Polyalexander.com is my coaching brand. So that's where I started out as a success coach. I started out coaching photographers in the field that I knew, helping them make more money, raise their rates, um, expand their brands. And then I, other people started asking me, do you just coach photographers? So then it broadened out to wedding industry people. And then it's broadened beyond that now. So I help people who have a big dream and it often involves, I'm working with a, a Russian painter at the moment. It often involves a complete lifestyle redesign. So leaving their job, starting a new career, possibly moving somewhere new in the world. And I think because people have seen me do that, they know that I can help them do it. Yes. Um, so um, that's where I started. So polyalexander.com is my original coaching website. Now, as my coaching evolved, I realized that one area I was really passionate about that had made a profound difference to me is changing my money mindset. So changing my thoughts feelings and beliefs around money. Mm. So one of the things that I've been able to do very successfully in both businesses is raise my rates. So I was 500 pounds, the first photography job I did, the one I told you about, (laughs) this job of my life. (laughs) They just got harder and harder the more I knew. But I raised, I now start at 7,500 pounds and my average sale is a lot higher, which is high for the UK. So That is something that I've been able to accomplish. And a big part of that was changing my mindset, changing the inner game around money. And then in my coaching business, I raised from, again, I started at 500. And then by the, by, I think it was a year or 18 months later, I was 5,000 for the same thing. So I know what it takes and what you can do inside to actually raise your rates. And when people are being paid their true value and their worth, then they can serve better they have more time for their clients, they can fulfill their dreams. And it's really a greater expression of their potential. Hmm. Um, And shifting my money mindset was was really core to that. And so Money Beautifully gives you a platform to be able to share those principles and to teach others about what, what you have learned that enable them to shift their mindset for the betterment of their lives, both as individuals and business owners. Yeah, yeah. So moneybeautifully.com came from my private coaching, you know, was not within the reach of a lot of creatives, especially people that are struggling with money. So I was looking for a way that I could help people transform their money mindset so that it could start bringing in more money in their businesses, but in a way that they could was more accessible. So actually, I had another surprising journey last year that I was called into a healing journey. So I trained as something called a theta healer, which works on transforming your subconscious beliefs. And I started bringing that work in with my private clients. And it was really, really powerful. So when we started going deeper and shifting and identifying and shifting their subconscious beliefs, then they were able to really accelerate forwards much more quickly. So this program brings together that work with the coaching work and some training and teaching to help people shift their mindset, but with the benefit of a community of journeying with other people. And and you talked about the 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 mentality or shifting the mindset of entrepreneurs, individuals when it comes to this topic of of money. And I know from personal experience as a, as a photography business owner for again about ten years or so, but also from conversations with other photographers in the industry that this this topic of finances and money just tends to be kind of overwhelming, becomes stressful. Uh, there is kind of a, an apprehension to charging what someone is actually worth. What where does this this mentality even come from to begin with? Yeah, totally. It's such a loaded subject, money. Oh my gosh, especially, I don't know about the US, but especially in the UK, you're not supposed to even talk about it. It's kind mm. of a dirty word. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 
sort of you talk about what you do and you're super confident and passionate and then you have to sort of cough and say under your breath what you're <laughs> and that's 2500 and squirm uncomfortably <laughs> well there, there is there is i know at least in the american culture this kind of a, assumption or association with art which is that uh, you know if, if you're i guess the idea that if you're just charging so much you're you're almost selling out um, yes. And there seems to be a disconnect between the notion that you can offer a beautiful piece of art, but then also charge what you or that piece of art or, or both are ultimately worth. And and so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to get your take, your opinion, your your what you've learned through this whole process about where those limiting uh, beliefs, as, as again, we've, we've heard from that, that, that phrase from Tony Robbins, that limiting belief or series of beliefs, where do they come from? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think firstly, the reason that um, photography business owners struggle so much is a couple of things. Firstly, they got into it as a passion, not specifically to make money. I've worked with a lot of photographers, and not one has ever got into it to make money. They were just happy to be paid for doing what they loved. <laughs> so, so firstly, that's one of the reasons struggles. Second is because they're sensitive, because as creatives that we're very sensitive. And so we can struggle with this whole area and with putting ourselves forward more but in terms of the beliefs oh I could talk about this for ages <laughs> so I think firstly is beliefs around money you know like you said that it's it's better to be humble that you shouldn't ask for more more you should be happy with what you've got I think that's the way that a lot of us were brought up so a lot of our beliefs came from our family upbringing and what the story around money was in your family so in, for some people it's like there was never enough for others, it's like, well, it's hard to come by. You know, you have to struggle. You have to work really hard for it. For others, it was like it could run out at any time. You know, maybe they experienced debt or bankruptcy or argue, parents arguing about money. And so there's so much programming around money that we've inherited unconsciously, yeah. especially between zero and seven. We're like a sponge. Mm. You just soak it up. So if you see your parents arguing about money, you just make it mean like money's bad. Or, you know, money hurts people. And then there's the culture in society think that you sh that your guilt, you should feel bad for wanting more. You should be happy with what you've got. It's more spiritual to be humble. Um, and then I see a big pattern, which is not just creatives, but people as a whole. That's this belief that there's not enough to go around in the world and that more for me means less for someone else. Interesting. So that there's a scarcity that if you're greedy or somehow deprive somebody else, if you ask for too much, it somehow will mean less for them. And I think the core of this is this feeling of not being enough. And so people are reluctant to charge more because deep down they don't feel worthy of more. So there's a huge range of beliefs, everything from family upbringing, from society, from religion, from past experiences of money as well. So if you've had past experiences of debt or maybe you've made business decisions that haven't worked out or invested in things where you've lost money, these can get imprinted on the subconscious mind and create fear of investing again. You know, I have people come to me and they're very wary of investing in their business because they've invested and it hasn't worked. So they're sort of punishing themselves and they won't let themselves off the hook. And that stops them being able to expand. The, the sense of, uh, I guess, lack of worthiness is, is a theme and in, in what you're communicating about the series of limiting beliefs, these that the mentality or the mindset that is keeping photographers from uh, ultimately being the most successful business owners that they possibly can be. And I, I, I mean, again, this is probably a topic in and of itself, but what are your thoughts, maybe just a couple of thoughts about where that sense of unworthiness comes from? Who is, who is telling them that they're unworthy or what are the things that they're hearing that they're choosing to buy into or to believe that would even make them feel this way to begin with? So the first thing I would say, based on my experience of working with a lot of people, is childhood, is mother or father, that in some way... Um, we didn't, as a little child, feel good enough, and we were always trying to please a parent. So maybe you didn't get the love that you really wanted or the attention from either your mother and your father. So it's like a very deep-rooted feeling of not being enough, which plays out in adult life. So that's probably the most common pattern I see. Hmm. Is um, and you know it doesn't need to be something dramatic. It doesn't need you know sometimes it is. Sometimes there's abandonment, you know, or bigger issues, but sometimes it's just that feeling of you were never quite enough. Maybe a parent was critical 
And this usually comes from because most of our parents are only, if they didn't feel worthy themselves, they can't model that for their child. So they, because they were then short, taught, not taught how to value themselves, how to know they're enough, how to make their best enough. They then pass that on unconsciously to their, to their child in the parenting. Um, and the reality is, you know, we're all flawed human beings, like sort of blindly struggling our way through the human experience. Right, for sure. Right? So there's no such thing as perfect parenting. But um, that's the one place I see that a lot of people get the pattern of not feeling enough from. The second place is not seeing themselves as, now, I would say God, if you're not, if that word doesn't resonate with you, then the universe or source energy, but not seeing yourself as the amazing and perfect being you are. And so tapping into trying to do everything yourself and expecting yourself and not seeing like your natural potential and brilliance. And that's where you do have control over you see yourself. And I think people try to rely on themselves only and they're not truly connecting to the spiritual nature of who they are and that they're a co-creator, that they're always supported and that it's not just down to them, that you can open up to a bigger sense of support and trust and faith. Wow. I, I, you know, I'm really glad that, that you landed on that point because uh, this is a conversation that's been somewhat of a theme through the Boca podcast, uh, which is the significance of collaboration. And, you know, we can say all day long that, that, that we need to make sure that we connect with community, that we're involved with community, that we surround ourselves with people who are truly invested in us and, and uh, are there to support us and encourage us and, and lend advice and help. Um, but, it's easy as artist types, and, and maybe you can relate to this as well, Polly, to to kind of go inward and, you know, it, it largely in some cases because of that so-called unworthiness, that feeling of unworthiness, that, that we stay inside ourselves instead of reaching out for help, even if it's just a phone call or a text message or, you know, going to a local photography network meeting, going to a business network meeting or, or otherwise. It's really, really important that we remember that, we, we can't do everything by ourselves, and that's actually normal, and, and it's healthy to reach out for help, and it's healthy to look for advice and support and encouragement, and uh, so I would encourage all of those listening in. I, I know how it feels to be kind of the introverted artist type, or maybe you're an extrovert as well, but there, there may be a tendency to, to go inward and stay there. And that can, that can take you down in kind of a deep, dark hole. Make sure that you reach out. Make sure that you connect and you do so consistently. It makes all the difference in the world. And uh, I'm really gr- glad that, that you brought up that, that point, Polly. And I'd, I'd love for you to take us then into maybe even an even more practical point of the conversation, which is how do these beliefs about money, about finances, translate to running a photography business and more specifically how and in, in what ways are photographers losing or missing out on opportunity to make money as a result of these mindsets great oh so much i could share here <laughs> mm, okay where shall i start i think the first thing is when you allow your worth to be determined by someone else's budget mm. so this was a huge pattern for the first five years of my photography business. So I was not so confident in my worth. And so I would let other people's budget determine it. And I always remember I did a wedding for 360 people. So quite a big wedding by European standards. And the client really haggled me, haggled with me over price. And I let them do that. I was just grateful to have the work. And then when I got to the wedding, it was such a huge budget. There was a huge bouquet of flowers on every seat. (laughs) I realized that the seat budget for flowers was bigger than the budget. Oh my goodness. Wow. And I realized like you can't, you cannot allow other people's budget to determine what you're worth. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would be don't brace your pricing on the local market. So that's the one thing which I've worked a lot with on with clients and helping them raise their rates. They'll look at what's going on in their local market and say, well, the photographers in my area are charging like 2000 or 3000 No one charges that much. So who am I to do that? And so I would invite people to you know, evolve beyond that and be willing to go where the clients are. Now, obviously, if you need to create a business that is based on the local market, you're looking at a portrait studio, and that could be different. But 
actually, I, I mean, I know a photographer um, in California whose business is based, she's a personal branding photographer. Her business is based on shooting all around the world. <laughs> and she does like 50 portrait shoots a world a year all around the world. Wow. So be willing to go where the clients are. If your local market doesn't sustain you uh, growing your business financially. Another block I see is holding on to regrets, resentment and mistakes. And that actually blocks the flow of abundance. And this extends is in the business, but it also extends into our whole life. So where we are not forgiving ourselves for mistakes we've made, it actually blocks the flow of money. And it sounds kind of out there. But it really works when you start to let go of regrets and resentments and mistakes you've made. It actually allows more money to come to you. I think on a practical level, I would say that one thing I learned was that developing ongoing relationships with your clients is really powerful because your existing clients are your best clients. So I neglected this and I could have leveraged it a lot more as a wedding photographer. But if you're willing to develop long-term relationships, you a client you know, is buying you. And so as you evolve and offer new services and grow, then they can also grow with you. So I have one client that came to me for an engagement shoot in Ibiza. I then shot their wedding in the south of France. I then shot their first baby portrait in Ibiza. Wow. And then they became a coaching client to start a new business in Switzerland. So that's something I've realized is that when people connect with you, and we talked about this earlier, you, you brought this up really powerfully, um, that when people connect with you, buy with you and have an emotional relationship with you that's genuine and authentic, then you know, be open to the possibility of your relationship evolving over time. The next thing I would share, actually, this is super practical, but this has been very powerful for me, is that I, I make a lot of money from print sales still. They're not dead. <laughs> And I see a lot of photographers reluctantly just want to deliver the files. It's super easy to do online print sales. And when you automate sales, like give a little to your clients first, like send them gifts of prints, show them the magic. And I think the job that you guys produced for me at Christmas, I got £3,400. That's like $5,000 of extra print orders on top of the initial booking. Wow. And you make things easy for your clients. You show them like how beautiful they are, you know, without being salesy, without like pushing, just giving from the heart. And then the, the opportunity is there to make a lot more money. So I think that sometimes people overlook things because they think they're outdated or it's not going to work or they have, they buy into the collective mentality. Nobody does that anymore. Um, but I think there's a client demand there still. And, you know, this is an interesting point, too, because uh, you mentioned online sales. I just had a conversation with a photographer about IPS, in-person sales. So what are your thoughts, just maybe just briefly, on the difference uh, in approach between going the online route and kind of automating those sales versus having in-person sales sessions? Yeah, I think in-person sales sessions are amazing if you run a portrait studio. I haven't done that um, when I started my wedding photography business, I actually did do in-person sales for a while. So I would show them their images in person and then I would help them choose for the album. It basically killed my personal life because everybody wanted evening. <laughs> and I'd be there at like 10 o'clock at night trying to get, this, trying to get the decision finalized. Yeah, it yeah. was very lucrative. I have to be honest, it was very lucrative. It sped up my production process. So I was able to get the album into production, get it to the client sooner. It helped them make decisions because I was there to support them and it increased my sales. So I think it's really powerful. I wasn't willing to make the sacrifice for my personal life to do that. Um, but I think if you run a portrait studio and you're doing a business where it's local and people can come to you, I think it's incredibly powerful and it can really help the client as well. Well, and you make an interesting point again, which is that you you were very clear about what you actually wanted or ultimately wanted out of your personal life. And that ultimately helped you filter out activities in your business that didn't make sense. It didn't line up with that, the business model and ultimately kind of your personal goals. So it's important that we're very, very clear. Paula, you mentioned the, the idea of values earlier as well and kind of letting that guide the, the development of your brand position and your brand. It's really clear that that we all make time to clearly establish what our what I refer to as our big picture view is our long term goals and the values that drive those goals, so that we're then able to effectively make decisions about 
the, the business model that we develop and, and then, of course, ultimately how we spend our time day to day. So I love the differentiation uh, that you mentioned there. Do you have a few additional ways that you'd like to just share with, with our photographers, our listeners, about how they may be missing out on opportunity to, to make money in their business? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the biggest things that's been a game changer for me in both businesses is not trying to do everything myself. Mm. Um, I know this sounds really obvious, but you'd be amazed at how many photographers cling on to this. One of my dear friends is a fashion photographer, extremely talented, and she refuses to outsource production, which drives me crazy (laughs) because it was a game changer in my own business. So, you know, I was shooting film and then I was shooting hybrid and now it's a mixture depending on the job. Um, And I always outsource my digital production because A, like I really think other people can do a better job than me, to be honest. You know, I am not a master at this, (laughs) but you can develop a great relationship with your production company and you can actually get an amazing result. And it just frees you up to do so many other things to grow your business. So it's one of the biggest blocks when people insist on doing all of the production themselves. That's like blocks the business I've worked with so many photographers that when they outsource when they get over the hurdles they're like oh my gosh this is incredible I think the other thing is bringing admin support it can I started off with two hours a week so getting people to like send the files to clients um, getting them to handle inquiries and communication getting them to send invoices like don't really bringing in team and it doesn't have to be full-time team but freelance people to help you in your business and not trying to do everything on your own. I think that your net worth, and you probably heard this, your net worth is a reflection of your self-worth. So you've got to work on your inner worth and then your outer world will mirror that back. And so I think that people can be working on the business or working on their marketing or working on their art and they forget to work on themselves And actually, that's the biggest determiner of how other people value you. That would be an area I think that is super, super powerful. I love what you shared about getting clear on your vision, your goals. That's absolutely essential because then that guides the actions you take. So instead of taking actions and throwing your energy around desperately trying to find clients or do the right thing, you're actually taking aligned and inspired action and action that's going to create a business that you really love that's in alignment with how you want to live. I think the, another thing I would share is you have to overcome your negative fears and beliefs about money to get comfortable with asking for money and to get comfortable with uh, receiving money. A lot of people are not comfortable receiving money. And another area which I think is really overlooked is that actually deep down, a lot of people have a fear of success, fear of becoming bigger, more seen, more visible, And this can be a big barrier to trying to grow because if deep down you're worried about what other people are going to think or worried about becoming, having people become jealous of you or what, you know, perhaps growing apart from your friends or family, it can actually, these, these are really deep subconscious fears about leaving the tribe or, you know, what, how do you manage money when you start making more or will it impact on your ability to have good relationships with your family or your personal life that's things that come up when I see people who've already got their business going and they start to rise all of these fears of actually being successful being more visible and being wealthier can come up at that point wow and and it seems so counterintuitive you know most people would probably say well I I want to be successful I want to make more money I want to have more clients and and the last thing that they would maybe intuitively think is, well, I'm 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 scared of being successful. But but what you're explaining about the psychology that drives that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure there there's some pretty deep individual conversations to be had there about not only that topic or that point that you made, but really many of these points. They could probably be podcast episodes in and of themselves. But I have to say yet again, and, and if I haven't already, that I, I can't express enough appreciation for um, the depth in conversation that you've brought to the podcast today and and not only the the points that you make about where photographers may be missing out but the potential solutions to those situations and and I'm sure that many people uh, may want to actually have a follow-up conversation or two or five with you and and so I think maybe just to to kind of close our conversation I'd, I'd love for you to share where they can learn 
more about what you were doing, um, the, the service, and, and uh, really at, at a very base level, the conversations that you're offering through your, your uh, coach, uh, coaching and consulting services as well, um, where can they go and find you online? Yeah, yeah. So I've created lots of ways to connect with me. So my favorite social media is Instagram. I think that's a natural fit for us photographers. So that's where you can find me hanging out. I have also got a webinar coming up on Sunday, the 18th of March, called Do You Have Money Blocks, which is designed to help you identify if you have money blocks and what they are. And I'm actually doing live clearing on the webinar. So people have been getting amazing results just on the webinar. This is totally free. So they they can experience what happens and how they can shift their money blocks um, so that they can start getting results straight away. So you can sign up for that via the link on my Instagram as well. And then I have two free meditations I've created as well. You'll also find those on my Instagram um, on the bio link. Um, So one is to manifest more money. So that's a 12 minutes a day meditation that will walk you through a specific process to appreciate and show gratitude for what you have and start thinking in a more abundant way. Um, So people are telling me, (laughs) super cool, I love the feedback I get. So people are telling me that they are receiving more money, that they have really good days after listening to it. I also have a success meditation, which is a bit of a longer one. It's about 20 minutes. That's on my website. And um, I had somebody write to me and say they had their first 10K month after listening to my success meditation, and they feel that it opened them up to that. So those are those are free ways to connect with me. I also have moneybeautifully.com, which launches on March the 19th. That's my program to walk creative entrepreneurs and coaches through transforming their money mindset. So that's where we're working together, a group of us, for 10 weeks. So Lots of ways to connect with me and dive into the conversation. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and uh, I, I can't thank you enough again for offering those resources. And for those of you that are not familiar with uh, Polly's Instagram account, it's just very simply Polly, P-O-L-L-Y underscore Alexander, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-E. Um, Polly Alexander. And so make sure you go check out Instagram.com slash Polly Alexander. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. And then, of course, moneybeautifully.com as well. Uh, Polly, thank you so much. This is, I, I love the depth of the conversation. I feel like I kind of cut us short by not responding to almost every one of those points that they were kind of conversations in and of themselves. But thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom and advice and experience and uh, for making time for the Book of Podcast listeners today. You are so welcome. I love the questions you asked. Um, thank you for creating this and thank you for diving in so deeply into so many aspects of what it is to be a successful creative business owner. I think what you're doing is awesome. I love your service. I do use your service, as you know. (laughs) I'm a massive fan of outsourcing, but I think it's been a really wonderful, interesting conversation. So thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Come